Let's talk now, though, to Professor Anand Menon, Director of the UK in a Changing Europe, because, of course, uh, if it wasn't for COVID, this would probably be the lead story. Brexit. Because today is yet another deadline uh, for the Brexit talks. Yesterday we spoke to Alex Phillips, former Brexit Party MEP. She seemed pretty convinced that there might be another couple of weeks to go uh, before any deadline was breached and any kind of walking away was done. Anand, uh, a very good morning to you. What do you make of that, uh, that synopsis? Do you think another couple of weeks, maybe? Hi, Mike. Yeah, I think realistically, unless there's something in the way of an agreement by the middle of November, then we're going to run out of time. Because remember... We haven't actually got a text yet. These treaties take time to write. They take time for everyone to approve. And then the European Parliament has to vote on this. And I think about a month or so tops. Yeah. I mean, the European Parliament, not a place where people like doing an awful lot of work in the actual chamber. I don't know whether this is all done in committee stages and stuff like that. But, I mean, are they even sitting at the moment? They are. And for this, they'd have to look at it in committee and then take it to a plenary. Now, there's time to do that with the plenary in uh, December. Right. But they need to have a draft. And, of course, one of the things about the negotiations to date is they don't have a draft treaty drafted as yet. Right. Because one of the other problems I'm hearing about at the moment is that if there is to be a no-deal Brexit, we're kind of running out of time for that to be declared. Because if there is to be one, then there needs to be a few um, sort of planks put in place, as it were. Yeah, that's true, though it's worth saying that the gap between deal and no deal is relatively small. So many of the things we need to do for no deal, we're going to have to do for a deal as well. So things like these infamous lorry parks in Kent, we're going to need them even if we get a deal. So in a sense... The preparations can keep going, but they'll be more needed for no deal than they would for a deal. Right. So what's going on today, as far as you're aware? I mean, is there a conversation about whether we should do a bit of an extension and just say, let's keep talking up until the end of October, at the very least, maybe into November? Um, Or are they just kind of carrying on as if there is no deadline? Well, I mean, I should hedge this by saying I'm not a confidant of the Prime Minister, so I don't know exactly what's going on. Well, I was hoping you were confident of some of the participants. My guess from the outside is there's a conversation that is going on inside number 10. And there are some people who think, look, if the EU aren't going to make concessions, we should walk. And there are others saying, look, a deal is gettable. We should try and get it. And we'll find out when the prime minister makes his statement later. Mm. I would be surprised if he walked now, partly because I think if he's going to walk, he'll do it later. Partly because I think the prime minister would still rather have a deal than a no deal outcome. Yeah, I think so. And what about the state aid conversation? Because we've talked quite a bit uh, this week and last about kind of the fisheries and everybody kind of knows where where everyone stands on that. And Martin Daubney made a very interesting argument to me uh, just the other day about how the French and Macron really need to get something out of the fishing conversation, because if they don't, there's quite a heavy political price to pay very possibly in those uh, towns along the coast of northern France. But aside from all of that, um, what's the the kind of range when it comes to state aid um, that, that Britain and Europe are discussing what's the what you know what's the best case scenario for the UK and the worst case scenario well the first thing to say about state aid is just how weird it is that a conservative government is fighting against state aid restrictions because mm. for many years in the European Union the French in particular used to moan about state aid restrictions that they saw the Brits as having imposed on the EU so right. there's, a, there's a sort of paradox going on here I think what both sides there is a there is an agreement to be had here if the European Union will realise that the UK isn't going to have an agreement that says we abide by EU law, but yet we can agree limits to state aid beyond which the other side has the right to retaliate with uh, trade remedies. So there is a way of doing it. The, the initial EU position on state aid was a very extreme one. It basically said, here's EU law, you're going to follow it. 
And of right. course, number 10 said... Yeah, and number 10 has to say that because number 10 cannot uh, come out of these talks with anything resembling the EU um, holding anything over the UK's head, surely? Yeah, well, I think for number 10, there is a matter of principle, which is if we leave the European Union, what that means is we're not bound by their laws. We can argue about the practicalities. I, for one, am slightly sceptical about whether a government, particularly in the wake of COVID, is ever going to manage to spend enough on subsidies to breach those laws. I, I think looking back in five years' time, we'll find that everything that's done in the way of subsidies would have been consistent with EU law. Mm. But this is a matter of principle, not of, pra- of, of, of practicalities. It is saying... The point of Brexit is to be free of your laws, so don't try and impose them on us as part of a trade deal. Yeah, and that would seem to be a relatively logical position to hold. And what about some of the other participants in the in the, in the conversation? You know, obviously we know where France and Germany stand, but what about some of the other uh, European countries that might be slightly, say, less tolerant of the whole Brexit process, who might be saying, just let them go and, you know, find their own feet? Well, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, Croatia doesn't do much trade with us and they're relatively relaxed compared to the French. But I think fundamental principle in the EU now is even though every state has a different approach to this, every state would approach the negotiations slightly differently. They've agreed that they're going to keep a common front, not because they agree, but because there's so much else they disagree on that they've decided that Brexit is one area where they can't afford to fight amongst themselves. So they'll stick with Michel Barnier. And I don't think they'll let those differences come out in public. No, I think that's probably true. So, I mean, presumably by the end of today, there will have to be some kind of statement issued uh, jointly or, you know, individually by both parties, right? Well, there will be a statement by the Prime Minister. David Frost indicated yesterday that at some point today, the Prime Minister is going to make a statement in which he responds to what was, from his point of view, a rather disappointing uh communique issued by the European Council yesterday, because what the European Council yesterday said is, we'll keep going with the negotiations, but they didn't say we're going to speed them up or intensify them, and they also said, we're waiting for the Brits to make concessions, which isn't what the Prime Minister had wanted to hear from them. No, of course. Well, let's see. I dare say we'll be talking about this for some few more weeks to come. Uh, Professor Anand Menon, <laughs> the Director of the UK to Change Europe, thanks very much indeed.